Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Amen. Hebrews chapter number one, beginning at verse number one, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke or spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his own son who he hath appointed heir. Everybody say heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had made, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And verse uh, chapter 6 and verse number 19, and beginning at, uh, yeah, verse 19, we'll start there. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Everybody say we have a hope. hope. Say it again, we have a hope. Amen. It's, the, it's an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Verse 20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. And so we're going to continue on tonight and uh, kind of do just uh, uh, bring us back up to speed and continue on in this lesson But we are talking about the book of Hebrews, we're studying the book of Hebrews, and we're talking about the key to absolute victory, the key to total victory in your walk with God. I don't know about you, but I want to have absolute, total, complete victory, amen, in my life in living for God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's no little magic potion to drink, there ain't no fairy dust to sprinkle, there's there's no wishing upon a falling star, amen, It it takes work. Amen. And so it takes getting in the word of God and then activating revelation in our life. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the victory and the liberty that we feel. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding. Lord, I pray that you can do that you would do what only you can do in this place, and that is to bring victory in every aspect of our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Look at somebody and tell them, I'm victorious. Amen. Here we get back into the book of Hebrews, and I want to bring back to our attention, uh, kind, to, kind of to bring context to the book of Hebrews, that Paul was writing to people with great religious uh, revelation. He wasn't writing to people who knew nothing about God. He was writing to people who had been their entire life very religious and very devout. Remember, we talked about that last week. They were very religious. They, were, they uh, followed Judaism. They had been in this for hundreds of years and even thousands of years through the traditions from the law of Moses on. And so he is writing to the Hebrews who have been born again. He is writing to those Hebrews who have put their faith in Christ, who have repented of their sins. They've been baptized in the name of Jesus and have received the gift of the Holy Ghost like as we. 
And he's writing to them, and he's trying to give them understanding. So he's writing on their level. Last week, I took great detail to talk about contrasting the writing of Paul to the Hebrew church versus Paul writing to the Corinth church. It's two vastly different letters. He's writing with, to Corinth, and he's basically saying, you people are crazy. Y'all are just wild and out of it. Let me set some order. The, the, the kind of a theme of, of 1st, 2nd Corinthians is order because he's a God of order. Amen. And so basically Paul put an out of order sign on the church. He said, now let's clean some things up here. There's some things you ought not do in church and there's things you ought not do out church. And this is how you need to walk and talk. And this is how you need. And he starts going down the list because they had no understanding of God. They were they were pagan. They were heathenistic. They, 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 served, um, they served gods that were idols. They were involved in all, all kinds of uh, uh, just evil, evil practices from uh, everything from child uh, mutilation to, uh, to sexual worship in the temples. I mean, it was, to prostitution, it was absolutely insane. And so the, here they get the revelation, and they start being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost coming into the church. But the problem was they had so much zeal, they were still kind of trying to hold on to some things over here in their understanding of religion and God. And it was so out of control that Paul has to basically go in there and nuke all their understanding and say, no, 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 none of that that applies. And so he has to start on a very basic level with the church at Corinth. And that's why you, you, you see him writing to Corinth and some of these things he writes about, you're going, well, duh. I mean, isn't that obvious you ought not do that? But to them, it wasn't obvious. Amen. I talked a little bit about it last week, and I know this is an extreme example, but Paul literally had to write and say, uh, it's not okay for that man, that young man, to be sleeping with his father's wife. Now, we would look at that and go, now what kind of dummy would do that? But in Corinth, it was totally acceptable. They were so hedonistic and pagan, it didn't even dawn on them. And I used the illustration last week that, that Corinth, uh, or Hebrews rather, because they were so steeped in the law of Moses and an understanding of a monotheistic, monotheistic God of who God is, that Paul didn't have to write to them hardly about any moral issues. They understood morality. And so it, it's like... They had all of this head knowledge of God, but they didn't have any heart knowledge of God. And so last week I used the illustration that the Hebrew church had very big heads, but very tiny hearts. And then you, you contrast that to the Corinth church who had very tiny heads, but they had huge hearts. Okay? And so you, you see there's, a, and that's why you see a contrast of writing styles you know, he would write differently to Timothy than he did Titus and differently to Ephesus than he did Galatia because he was writing to each church to be able to reach them at the point of their need. Again, we talked about this last week. Paul said that I became all things to all men that by all means I might win some. And so, again, and, and I want to say this is kind of our launching pad to launch out a little further than we did last week. He, he didn't become an alcoholic to reach an alcoholic. That's not what he meant. He, he, didn't, he did not become a liar to reach a liar. 
He did not become a murderer to reach a murderer, right? He did not involve himself in their lifestyle of sin that he might reach them. But in other words, what Paul said is whatever their understanding was or whatever their class was in society, I was able to reach them. Now, watch what Paul does. And, and I know I'm recapping some things from last week, but uh, we, we had a lot of folks uh, out last week sick and stuff, so I, I want to reiterate this. But I want you to just watch the writing of Paul. Paul goes, now Paul was one of the most intellectual men in the Bible, if not one of the most intellectual men to ever live. He was a genius. He was seen as the next big thing in Judaism. He learned from the greatest orator and the greatest uh, scholar, Gamaliel. The Bible said he studied at his feet, which meant he spent many years in apprenticeship with him. And he knew the law. He knew how to speak. Matter of fact, Paul was so well at speaking, he actually had to write and say, I chose not to come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom or in the excellency of speech, but in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost. And what that means is uh, that it don't matter how well someone can speak or sing. We need the power of the Holy Ghost, and that's what changes lives. But watch Paul. He, he, he goes to where he is able. I mean, Paul, uh, Paul was, I, I don't know if, because it has such a negative connotation, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but Paul was kind of a chameleon. He could kind of fit in any situation he was in, right? He, I mean, to, to the Greek, he was Greek. To the Jew, he was Jew. To the free, he was free. To the bond, he was, he was in bonds. He said, I know how to abase. I know how to abound. I've been poor, but I've been rich. Then he said, I became all things to all men. The principle is this. If you're going to make a disciple, you're going to have to learn to get along with people that aren't like you. The, the most shallow people are the people that only get along with people that think like them. I like being around people who don't think nothing like me. One man said, I became a student of all men. You know, if you think because you don't hear your opinion coming out of their mouth, they got nothing to teach you, you're so far behind the eight ball. You're missing it. You've got to be willing to learn of everybody. Amen? You can learn from a fence post if you just be quiet. Amen? Like the old timers, you say there's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. But we, we, we want to hang around people that, that it, because it's more convenient to be in a comfort. Every once in a while, you need to be able to connect with people that don't think like you. And I got, I got, I've got friends. And when I say friends, I mean I've got good friends on all spectrums of, of political thought or judicial philosophy, even sports teams, right? I don't just get along. I mean, I even get along with Ole Miss fans over here. You don't even know how hard that is. I mean, I abased myself. No. <laughs> College football is just three weeks away, amen. <laughs> and so, you, 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 I mean, you've got to be able to connect with people. I'm not a lawyer, but I know how to connect to people. Amen. I've got friends that, that, are, that, that are lawyers. I, I've got friends that are doctors, and I'm, I'm neither of those. And I've got, I've got friends that never passed the eighth grade. You've got to be able to connect with all people, Right? So important. So watch Paul. Paul. Paul is able to get along with the wealthiest. He's able to speak to governors on their level. He didn't talk up to them and he didn't talk down to them. He talked right to them. 
Amen? So It's so very important. It's a gifting that really the Holy Ghost can give you. So Paul can talk to anybody. Paul talks to the very wealthy. I mean, he's talking to Agrippa. He talks to, uh, to Felix. He, he, he talks to Drusilla. He talks to all of these very influential, powerful people. And then yet, one of his best friends is a slave by the name of Onesimus. Read the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is one of the shortest books in the Bible, and it's one of the most powerful books in the Bible because you see Paul becoming all things to all men. He's writing letters to churches that would direct church theology and doctrine and secure salvation and our understanding of God forward. But he takes time to write a letter to a man named Philemon. He says, there's a man that ran away. His name is Onesimus. He was of your household, a slave of your household, and he ran to Rome. He was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ here in Rome. I discipled him. But look what Paul said. I'm sending him back to you to make things right. I know it's within your power to kill him, to imprison him. He said, but here's what I'm asking you. Receive him as you receive me. I mean, so Paul goes from sitting at the table with governors to being able to have a best friend who is a slave. Isn't it amazing what the work of God will do in our life if we will allow him to do it, amen? And so Paul is just very varied in how he can reach people. So he writes, but now he's writing to Hebrews because the book of Hebrews is an intense book. You don't just casually go through the book of Hebrews and really understand a lot. To understand the book of Hebrews, you need to understand some basics of the law of Moses. You need to understand some basics of the Torah or the Pentateuch. You need to understand something about the first five books of the Bible. You need to understand a little bit about Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. You need to understand that that Hebrews is written to a people who are steeped in the tradition and in the order of Moses, and they're walking in it. And Paul is writing to them because they are so torn and they are so confused because this is who they are. Yes, they've received the Holy Ghost. Yes, they've been baptized in his name. And now, after this salvation experience, they're so torn that they're going back and they're trying to live both lives. They're trying to... No, no, they weren't doing what the Corinthians were doing. They weren't going back to immorality, to sexual immorality. No, they weren't doing that. They were going back to traditions of religion. Paul said, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be free in Christ and then go back under the bondage of the law of Moses. You can't be free in Christ and then go back, and then go back to temple on Saturday. And... and the feasts and, and the new moons and, and, and the dietary laws and all that. He said, you can't go back and do all of that. So I'm writing to you to understand this is what he's doing in Hebrews. He is writing to them and he is giving them fulfillments that Christ gave in the law. He's writing to them in a way that they can understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. He didn't come to do away with the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the law of Moses. Because the, the law was a type and a foreshadow of Christ that is to come. Does that make sense? 
Amen. And so he's writing to them about that. And so we'll begin to pick up where we left off. And he's letting, he's letting them know these very basic understandings that we have, that Jesus Christ came to purge us and to take away our sins from us. Amen. We know that. And, and most everyone who ever serves God uh, will really never get much further than understanding God came to take away our sins. Uh, most of our view of God is Calvary. And I want to say this. got to be careful when I say this. The cross is still got to be the center and the circumference of who we are as Christians. Because without the cross, there is, without, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we've got to be willing to say, okay, the cross, got to have the cross. But, but the vast majority of Christians will stop at the cross and they'll move, they'll move, they won't go any further than the cross. And so living for God for them just, just becomes, it's just bloody. It's just gore. It's just sacrifice. It's ugly. It's hideous. All, all they'll do in living for God as a Christian is they'll see all the do's and don'ts, the can'ts and won'ts, where I can't go, what I can't do, what I can't say, what I have to do. See, see you, you've got a Golgotha mentality. You haven't moved on yet. Well, it, it, let, let me reemphasize. I don't want nobody walking in here going, Pastor said we're beyond the cross. We don't need the blood anymore. That's not what I said. But even Paul would say not laying again the foundations of repentance. In other words, at some point, you've got to be able to say, thank God for the cross. My sins are forgiven. Then you've got to understand just right past the cross is an empty tomb. There's a reason the early church didn't build a tabernacle on top of Calvary. And there's a reason they didn't turn his tomb into a sanctuary of worship. Because they knew it was a very important step on the journey to becoming a Christian walking in absolute victory. Amen. At some point in your walk with God, you've got to quit fighting yourself and, and seeing your life living for God in separation and holiness is some great sacrifice. And don't shout me down when I'm teaching good now. At some point, you've got to quit looking at yourself as some religious victim because you don't do certain things, you don't wear certain things, you don't go certain places, you don't hang out with, right? You've got to quit looking at yourself and say, oh, look what I do for Jesus. Let's see what Paul said about that in Romans 12 and 1. Romans 12 and 1, Paul said, I beseech you there. Now, he's writing to the Roman church. One could argue they're even more pagan than the Corinthian church. And all of a sudden, the Roman church is starting to feel like they're, they're, they're just, oh, look at all we've given up for the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. And he writes in Romans 12, 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your above and beyond extreme service. That's not what he said, right? He said you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your? Say it again, Bible scholars. Paul said bare minimal. You ought to give your body a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable servant. He said, that's, that's your baseline right there. Paul said, if you're looking at that as you're some hero, you need a medal of honor wrapped around your neck. You ain't even got a clue what it is to live for God. So I don't know. 
Yeah, we've got to lay our flesh down on the altar every day. I get it. But quit dragging it around by the neck, parading what a victim you are of religion. You want to have absolute victory, you better learn that my body is not mine anymore. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Is this all right tonight? Amen. This is where marriage is wrecked because one, per, one, one person in the marriage thinks that they got the, well, this is my body. No, it's not. It's not what the Bible says. Paul wrote, said, it ain't your body anymore. I hate to do marriage counseling. He said, no, nope, ladies, that's not your bodies. Men, that's not your body. It don't belong to you. You're, you're in covenant now. The two shall become one. Same thing happens in living for God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. We give that to the Lord. And if you can't give it to him, then, then the cost has not been counted yet. Because Jesus said count the cost. Now, here's what we do in postmodern Christian churches and postmodern Pentecostalism, we're just in such a rush to get people in the water and to speak in tongues. We never even, don't tell them about anything. Let's just get them saved. We'll take care of that stuff later. Jesus said, count the cost. Before you go to Home Depot and buy the lumber, you better count the cost. He said, lest they look at you and say, here is the one that started a thing but could not finish it. Amen. There's a cost in living for God. We understand that. It's a cross that we live. We say, we, we wake up, we die daily. It's not, it's not, my, it's not my life. We, and here's, here's another problem we have is, is we got, you know, I think at last count, there's over 5,000 Christian denominations or, or interpretations of Christianity in the world. If there's 5,000, there's 4,999 that are wrong. There's not 5,000 versions of truth. There's only one truth. I know you're not going to hear Joel Osteen say that, so just hold on. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to get on TBN. They're going to give you your own version of it. Your little TikTok theology. The guy sitting there with his ball cap on backwards trying to tell you all this relevant fortune cookie religion he has. Get in the word. Get in the word. So Pastor, I don't know. Some of that's kind of, whew. I just, I think everybody ought to be able to believe what they want to believe. And they can. You can believe what you can believe. Jesus came from Alaska riding on a snowmobile. I don't care if you believe that, but if you're going to be saved, you better believe that he's the only begotten of God. You can, you can believe water ain't wet. You can believe fat meat ain't greasy. But you better believe that there's only one way to heaven. And that's not my interpretation. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. He said, I'm the way, the life, the truth. I am the door. He never, Jesus never left it, left it open for debate. Amen. So that's so narrow-minded. No, it's not narrow-minded. It's narrow way. I said, I said, it's not narrow-minded, it's narrow way. Yes. Amen. Because the Bible said broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. 
I think we, well, I just think we need to be more accepting of whatever people believe. I want to accept what the, what the word of God says. You want absolute victory, get settled that God's word is truth. Get settled that God's word is absolute and is truth, and we believe everything in that book. Every dotted I, every cross T, we believe all of it, and we believe it's the word of God. Amen. And, and so you got to understand it's not, it's, well, that's not how I feel about it. Well, and, and I've just got all these things I give up, and I've just got to lay down and, and boo-hoo and, and, and woe is me. You're not going to have victory like that. Y'all go ahead, victory. The, the moment you realize that your body is a living sacrifice, baseline, giving the Lord your body is the minimal, you'll start getting victory in your life. It's a sad thing when Christians feel they're persecuted by their own God. Amen. I said, it, man, I'm going to tell you what, at risk of sounding whatever, I might buy my own CD tonight. This is... This is good stuff. Listen to me. Quit feeling like you're persecuted by your own God. God just don't want me to be happy. God just don't want me to be happy. Well, I don't know if he wants you to be happy. I can't find a scripture that says God is solely concerned with your happiness. I, matter of fact, I think, I think I can make a case that God could give a flying rip about my happiness. I'd be happy with two good eyes and, and two good hands, but Jesus said if one of them offends you, you pluck that eye out and you cut that hand off because it's better to get to heaven lame than it is to go to hell whole. So I don't think it's about happiness. I think it's about, it's about understanding. Does this make sense tonight? Amen. This ain't mainstream Christianity. This is this. We're going. We're talking word now. We're talking about having a key to absolute victory in your life. The way to have a key to absolute victory is not be blown around with every wind of doctrine. Oh, well, this church sounds good. Oh, I like this ministry. Oh, I like that. Oh, oh, oh. get in the word. Get in the word. Amen. One thing we say around here all the time. Now you'll hear me say this. I don't have time. Don't take my word for it. Go home and research what I said in the Bible. And if what I told you wasn't in the Bible, don't ever come back and do everything you can to get your family out of here. I'm not afraid for it to be verified. Truth should never be afraid to be examined. Amen. We walk around thinking God's persecuting us because he's called us to live unlike the world. There's things the world does we don't do as believers. Why? Because it displeases God. Amen, I'm in a relationship with him. You know, I've got an awesome wife. I try not to displease her. I try. Sometimes I fail, but I try not to. Amen. If I know something displeases her, I'd be a dummy to try and do it, just to prove a point. Amen. I mean, there, there's nothing to really... Stop me from, you know, winking at, at a lady at a restaurant. I mean, there's no law against it, but it's going to displease her. And I don't, you know, I don't feel like going through concussion protocol again. <laughs> Amen. I, you know, there's things you do, you know, the, the, I better move on because I'm, I'm, 
I mean, our mentality is so shallow in living for God sometimes. Because we ask that one question, Pastor, is that a heaven or hell issue? Is that, is that heaven or hell? To which I've just started responding. I mean, it's like this. That's about as dumb as saying, is that a divorce or marriage issue? If I don't take out the trash, tomorrow's trash day. If I don't take out, or Thursday is, so I got to put them out tomorrow. If I don't put out the trash cans, is that a divorce issue? Nope. No. And, and, and it'd be a pretty pathetic one. If she went to court, well, I mean, you know, out here, they'd probably grant it. <laughs> Used to, you had to have a good reason to get divorced. Y'all, y'all old enough to remember that? You went to court, a judge could deny your divorce. You remember that? You'd have to go before the judge and have a good reason to be divorced. And then the judge would say, okay, you know, he, yeah, he's a bum. Now, I'll grant this divorce. Or they'd say, no, you guys need to work it out. It wasn't until the late 90s they just started granting divorces just at will. Amen. Well, you went to a judge in normal times and said, yep. my wife would say, you know, I, I want to divorce him. He didn't put the trash cans out on the street last night. That judge, if he's a sensible judge, is going to say, are you kidding? Let me take it a step further. I was speeding on the way to church on accident. I was going downhill. It was a real steep hill. Somewhere between here and Vacaville. It was one of them, you know, like an 11% grade or something like that. I was just really, I got about seven miles above the speed limit, okay? You don't act like you never have. Confession's good for the soul. I, but you know what I did? Brother Omar, I broke the law. I broke the law. Now, thank God there wasn't any cops around. <laughs> Well, there actually was, but I hit the brakes before he looked up. And I got on ways and told everybody where that sucker was, too. I'd say, hey, there's a cop right there off the... I love that Ways app, amen. <laughs> Boy, it saves me insurance money, amen. But I broke the law. You know, you know how I was saying, well, pastor, is that a heaven or hell issue? Well, if that cop would have pulled me over, I broke the law. When I get pulled over speeding, they walk up and... And, you know, I, usually, I always turn on my interior light if it's a dark, put my hands at 10 and 2, wait on the tap on the window. I got family that's in law enforcement. I'm going to tell you, if you will do that, you'll get out about 8 out of 10 tickets. If you'll just wait for them to tap on the window, turn your interior and put your hands on the steering wheel and just wait for them. Amen. 8 out of 10 times, you'll get out of a ticket. You want to know why? Because they're, they're like, oh, well, they must have family in law enforcement. You know, that whole, whatever the thing they do, they but you know what has never happened to me? Now, this is going to be a shocker. Don't fall out on the floor. Hold on to him, Jared. I don't want him to pass out. You know what has never happened to me? They pulled me over for speed, and the cop walk up to the window and said, you broke the law. Boom, and shoot me in the head. That's never happened, believe it or not. They've never executed me for, shooting, for, for breaking the speed limit. Now, I broke the law. Was it worthy of execution? But we serve God with a, well, is this a heaven or hell mentality? So what you're saying is if God doesn't put you immediately in hell, you're going to keep on doing it even though it displeases him. We need, we need to learn that to, about walking in the favor of God. See, sometimes we got this image of God. He's just this mean old, just mean old, crusty, 
cantankerous, grumpy old God, brother. He's got this long white beard, and he's got a big old baseball bat in his one hand, a bite, this is lightning bolt in the other hand, and he's just waiting on you to mess up. Come on, Marcel, mess up. Come on, Mar to hell you go. <laughs> and, and he's just waiting on it. That's not how God is. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He ain't always going to take your business, but he's a loving God. We got to get over this thing that God's just waiting to send me to hell. If I look the wrong way, oh, I'm going to hell. I grew up, God, I grew up thinking God couldn't wait to put me in hell. I did. Maybe y'all didn't. You're blessed. I just thought God was sitting around waiting. All right, all right, boys, get ready. Get ready. Get ready. See that 15-year-old down there? He's about to think that girl's pretty, and we're going to take him right to hell. I did. I really did. He, he's going he's gonna to look over somebody's shoulder and get the answer to that question. Get ready to drag him straight to hell. Demons gnawing on his ankles and everything. What I didn't understand is having a revelation of things that were sin that I shouldn't do because it's sin and behaviors I should change because it was displeasing. Does that make sense? Because I know some of y'all are looking like, I never heard this before. Does that make sense? There are some attitudes we can have that displease the Lord. There are some attitudes we have about doing the right thing that displease the Lord. <laughs> There's attitudes we have about doing right things and the attitude actually disqualifies the right thing we did. You want absolute victory? I, I, I need you to process this for me. I told you last week, we're, we're going deeper. No snorkeling gear. Put on the air tanks. We're diving beneath the surface in this Bible study series. This ain't, we ain't, at the, we ain't up in the shallows and ankle deep water anymore. We're getting on out there a little bit. I want, I want to get into things that are life transformative in serving God. So if all you see about living for God is just a bloody cross, then your whole existence in living for God is going to be focused on what you can't do and what you're restricted to. Does this make sense? I remember uh, we were in Juarez, Mexico. What year was that? 08, 09? It was in the middle of the cart. It was 10. Huh? 07. So even back in the height of the cartel wars. When we were there, over 5,000 people had already been murdered in the city of Juarez. We would have been safer going to Iraq selling bacon-wrapped hot dogs. You may get that on the way home if you don't catch it. And anywhere foreigners were going, any European, American, wherever, Going, they had armed escort every every place where there was going to be foreigners or U.S. They had they had uh, federales with M16 rifles. It was the it was the height of the car. that year alone. Over fifteen thousand in the in the country of Mexico had been murdered by cartels. There was a cartel war going on. Now watch this. We we went from El Paso into Juarez. 
Same climate. Let me rephrase that. Same terrible climate. Because <laughs> it's hotter than the devil's armpit. It's a desert. I don't, I'm not a desert fan. If you like deserts, that's fine. It's hot. It's, it's not that, you know, not that beautiful to me. I don't, neither, El Paso, none of it. I'm, I'm not a desert fan. I'm an air conditioner fan. But what was crazy is when you went from El Paso to Juarez, you stepped into a war zone. When you came back to El Paso, the same year Juarez had 5,000 murders, El Paso only had three. It was actually called the safest city in America, El Paso was, with only three homicides that year. But you know what's crazy? I want you to think about this. You know what's crazy? Guess where all the people go to have fun? They go to Juarez. Yeah, go to the pharmacy and buy Oxycontin pills and Xanax. They can go to the bar and have all their hookups for cheap. They go over there and they, they go over there and they party. And they, I'm going over, it's free over there. You know how many Americans got caught up in that stuff? You know how many Americans got put in prison for a long time uh, because they were caught with, sometimes, a lot of times it was planted on them. Uh, you, know how many, you know how many of them got caught in innocent crossfire and was mowed down that were caught uh, and held hostage for ransom? And all, but, but it didn't deter the Americans from going over there because they said, when I go over to war as when I'm in Mexico, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm free. But there was a price. <laughs> you had corrupt cops and dangerous cartels. Isn't it amazing? They looked at war and said, we can go over there and smoke all the dope we want and have all the girlfriends and boyfriends we want. We can go over there and party up and all weekend just have a good time. I'm not staying in this old boring, dirty, you know, square city called uh, El Paso. I'm going to go where I can have fun. Now, what was the difference between Juarez and El Paso? Was it the climate? Nope, hot in both places. Was it geography? Nope, it was desert, both places. Let me tell you the difference. One of them has law, and the other one don't. One of them you could do anything you wanted into, but the other one had laws. You see, our idea of freedom is backwards. We think freedom is doing anything we want, anytime we want, any way we want. That's not freedom, that's anarchy. Huh? If you want to live with freedom, you live within the boundaries of those things that keep you safe. If you buy a home on a, in a mountain, amen, especially if you got children, you put up a fence somewhere between the yard and the cliff. So, no, you would, you would restrict my freedom if you put up a fence between me and the cliff. No, I, no, because it's safety. That, that's, that's what has made America the most prosperous nation in the history of the world is the safety of living within the laws that govern the land. 
in living for God, amen, there are safeties, there are barriers, there are fences that God says you can live in total freedom within these parameters. You can have absolute victory within these parameters, amen. There's a lot of grieving mothers still right now because their sons went to war as in 07 and 08 and thought they were gonna have a big weekend and they never found their bodies or they're in a grave because they thought they could go there and be free. What was the difference? The difference was one place you can have freedom within the law. The other place was there's lawlessness with the appearance of freedom. Amen? So you've got to understand, living for God, God puts parameters and he puts fences on things. And he says, live in absolute freedom within the parameters of my word. Live, live in freedom within the barriers and the protection of my word. Some of the, if we're going to call them rules, some of the rules in living for God are not meant to make living for God hard. It's meant to make living for God free. Because I know where I, where, as far as I can go and I know where I can't go. Does that make sense? So you've got to understand there's more to living for God than the cross and than, than just the blood and the gold. And there's more than just an empty tomb. We, we've got to go on further. Now, let me, let me move on and try to pick up, uh, uh, go a little further than we went last week. You see, it, it takes time. And this is where I left off. We really talked a lot of last week about uh, being where? Where your feet are. Look at somebody and tell them, you've got to be where your feet are. You remember that? You remember that? You must be present to win. You want absolute victory in your life, you gotta quit living in tomorrow. And you gotta quit living in yesterday. You've gotta live in the right now. It's the beauty of the in-between, not where I was, not where I'm going, but I will be content where I am. We'll say, Pastor, I'm not happy in the house I live in. We'll be happy you got a house. Everything's relative. I just need this old piece of junk vehicle I got. Well, there's a lot of people that ain't got that piece of junk. Paul said, I've learned no, no matter what state I'm in, therewith I've learned to be content. And the word content doesn't mean happy, it means satisfied. I've learned to be thankful. I've learned to be, I've seen kids slamming their phones down at, you know, at, a, at a nice restaurant because they have an iPhone 8 and they want an iPhone 11 Pro. Oh, this piece of junk. me, 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 me. And I'm just sitting over there going, whoop that kid. <laughs> Straighten that kid out. We would have, amen. <laughs> oh, America, bring back the, the whipping. Not beatings, whippings, amen. They, they, praise God. <laughs> Some of y'all look at me like, Pastor, really? Yeah, it works. So I, don't, I don't believe in all that. I'm gonna tell you, I... We got whippings growing up, and, and, and now all these years later, I suffer from a disorder called respect for people. <laughs> I'm currently being treated and diagnosed with being thankful for everything I have. <laughs> Amen. I, I was somewhere, I don't know, this past year, and I watched this kid wailing, punching their, punching their mom and screaming. It. This kid couldn't have been more than six years old, punching his mom, cussing her out. And I thought, woman, it'd take, it'd take me 90 seconds. I could fix that, but I ain't, I'm not getting in it. 
not getting because what they'll say is, no, they just need to express themselves. Well, I'm going to tell you what my dad expressed. He, he expressed about 48 inches of leather coming off his waist, and he expressed that right across the rear end. Amen. And that helped. Praise God. Amen. But you know what's funny is we got so many Christians that have that same immature attitude in living for God. When God, when God doesn't heal every sickness, when God doesn't give us every raise, every promotion, every upgrade, we start flailing our arms, quoting scripture out of context, basically telling God what a bad God he is. Remember I said this last week, complaining is telling God he don't know what he's doing. Amen. Saying, God, I could do it better if you just listen to me. Last time I checked, God's not hiring for God junior positions or vice God positions. He just, he's God, he's sovereign, he's absolute. I've got to learn to accept that where I am, where my feet are, if I'm born again, if I'm living for God, wherever my feet are, God must have ordained it because my Bible tells me the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. So my feet must be where God wants me to be if I'm following after God. Now, if you're not following after God, then your feet got you somewhere God didn't intend for you to be. Amen. If you're upside down in the ditch because you were drinking while driving, God didn't put you there. You did. And you weren't following God. Amen. Praise God. That, 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 that don't cost you anything. That was free. But wherever your feet are, if you're following God, if you're living for God, it, that's where God has chosen to put you. That's where God has placed you. And if you want victory, you've got to learn how to have patience. You got to learn how to have patience. The Bible says, in patience, possess ye your soul. But we've got to learn to be patient in living for God. We got to be learned to, we got to learn to be patient with ourselves. And we got to learn to be patient with God. How many of you are exactly where you wanted to be right now in your life? Probably just a few, maybe. Most of us would like to have a little more money in the bank, right? A little less weight better house, better car, whatever it is, more friends, more influence. Uh, maybe you thought you would be running a Fortune 500 company, right? You're a little behind the eight ball, you know. That's fine. We got to learn to be patient with God's plan because God's process is more important than our pride. But, we, but, but something that requires assembly in our life assembling and we do not have the patience to sit down and read the instructions on how to assemble this thing that God has for our life. I'm gonna tell you, if you're gonna live for God with victory, I'm gonna tell you what's on the back of every box, every piece of furniture you get from Walmart or Ikea. It's gonna say, some assembly required. I want you to look at your hand right now like you're holding the victory for your life. And I want you to look at the, hold it up like this, like you're holding something. I want you to look at it because right there on the package of your victory, it's saying some assembly required. And if you're going to assemble that victory in your life, you're going to learn, have to learn to one, be patient and two, read the instructions. The instructions of the Bible. Y'all getting anything out of this tonight? We fail to retain our religious flair, but, but never seek 
to go further as God really wants us to go. In other words, we're happy about the emotion of a service, but we never go past the emotion of the service. Can I just be honest? We're selfish people. That's not a rebuke. That's not an indictment. That's just a fact. We are selfish. By nature, we are selfish people. We don't really care to experience the intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ that it takes to live in total victory. Somehow we've convinced ourselves if we jump high enough on Sunday and we run and, and, and sing loud enough on Tuesday, then that must be all there is to it. But that's the least. God wants to fellowship with us. I said God wants to fellowship with us. The Bible says God's a jealous God. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was out at the golf course every day, 10 hours a day, and then when I got done, I went to, you know, the bowling alley for six hours till midnight, and I came home, so I, it wouldn't take long for my wife to get tired. Well, I don't know. She might be looking forward to that. No, I'm just kidding. It wouldn't take long till she'd get tired of that. She'd say, no, we're, we're, we're hey, look, homie, we ain't doing it like this. You're going to roll up in my house at 1 o'clock in the morning and, and, and act like everything's all peaches and cream now. Listen, you need to wake up and realize there's a relationship that has to be had. Jesus is doing the same thing. You can't just come in on Sunday and Tuesday and, and, and act like you're just, you know, walking on clouds spiritually and nothing happens between those times. What did Jesus, what Jesus did after he died to purge our sins, amen. Jesus didn't die on the cross and just lay in the tomb and say, well, there you go, I took you as far as I could. He didn't use the tomb and say, this is my new apartment, and this is my new house. No, he just used it as an Airbnb. He said, I'm only gonna be here a few days. And he got up out of there. But where did Jesus go? What did Jesus do? It was to set a man on the throne of God's right hand in heaven because when Jesus resurrected from the earth, he didn't disappear. Now, this is a little deep, and I'm, I'm trying to find a place to land the plane. And where that throne is is in the, most, in the true most holy place that the tabernacle and the Temples, inner rooms only represented. He did something else with his blood aside from just shedding his blood. Y'all ready to go a little bit deeper? You know, in, in scuba diving, you don't just, you know, grab a, a, a rock and just sink straight down. You got to act, you got to go down about 30 feet and acclimate, wait there a little bit, make sure that oxidation in your blood gets left, and then you go down about another 30 feet and you go down. If you don't, or if you ascend too fast, you'll get the bends and you'll die. You'll get too much blood. In it. So we're, we're going and we're kind of hanging out. We're going to go a little bit deeper right here and then we're going to come back up. I want to take you a little bit deeper. So where, what is that? He did something besides just shed his blood. The shed blood of Jesus takes care of your sins. Everybody say his blood shed for me, takes care of my sin. Do y'all want to go a little further than that? Y'all want to find out what else the blood does? You want to find out where Jesus is right now and say, well, he's in me. Yes, he is because he's omnipresent. He's in me, he's in you, he's in all the earth, he fills all space and time, but I'm talking about the manifestation of Christ. You want to know where he is right now also? He's up in glory right now. 
And the Bible said he ascended on high and he sprinkled his blood on the everlasting mercy seat of God. And from heaven, he does something with that blood continually. He's in heaven right now continually doing something with that blood. He not only sprinkles it upon the everlasting mercy seat, but the Bible says he also sprinkles that blood on our heart and on our conscience. And most people hardly know anything about that because we stop at water baptism and we stop at receiving the Holy Ghost but the ministry of Christ and the blood of Christ goes more for than just the shedding of blood for our sins amen but he takes his blood and the Bible says he continually makes intercessions for us by putting his blood upon the mercy seat of God amen and sprinkling that blood over our heart and over our conscience amen we don't understand most of us don't even understand what it's all about but we need to learn about where he he now lives and why why he is there. He did not just die on the cross and resurrect to ascend into glory so that he can just sit up there, amen, like he's at a bus stop for 2,000 years just waiting for all of us to get up there. No, God's not just sitting in heaven cross-legged in his lazy boy recliner uh, sipping iced tea and eating pretzels and peanut butter, but God is up there right now and he is functioning. Jesus is functioning as our high priest in this very moment he is functioning as our high priest every day you live he's in the holy of holies taking his blood and he sprinkles it upon the mercy seat and he sprinkles it upon your heart and he sprinkles it upon your conscience if you want total victory then you need to understand that Jesus is right now ministering on your behalf isn't that beautiful See, we often think, that, Brother Nate, that, that once we're filled with the Holy Ghost, Jesus is kind of done with us. And then we just, we just got to you know, tough it out until you make it to heaven. Jesus is praying for you right now. The Bible said he continually make intercessions for us. He looked at Peter and he said, Peter, Satan, hath, Satan wants you. Peter, he, he desires you. He wants to sift you as wheat. In other words, he wants to turn you inside out. He wants to destroy you. What did Jesus say after that, though? He said, Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat. But what? But I have prayed for thee that thy faith would not fail. You see, we just think God's up in heaven like a referee with a scorecard. Yep, messed it there, missed that one. Oh, they, they actually got that one. Good for them, two points. That's not what God is doing. God, I'm telling you right now, Jesus is operating right now, Hebrews says, in the function of our high priest continually making intercessions for us. That means Jesus is praying for you that your faith would not, you gotta understand, God. when I say God is on your side, I don't just mean he's up there waving a foam finger saying you're number one. I mean God is really praying Jesus is praying for you that your faith won't every temptation you get into he makes a way of escape and he's praying oh I don't want their faith to fail I don't want their faith to fail you got to know that God is for you you want absolute victory to know who's on your side we quote the scripture if God be for us who can be against us? And we, un we misunderstand. We think the word before is, is one word. It's not before us, though. It's two words. If God be for us, who shall be against us? 
Not if, not, it doesn't mean if God before us, as in he's standing in front of us, which he is because he's everywhere. But he said, if God be for us, who shall be against us? In other words, when you got Jesus working for you, because I want you to know Jesus is functioning right now. Now, I know some of you are listening like this. Whoa, I don't know about, I've never, I don't know about all this. I thought, you know, I got the Holy Ghost and it's just all working from the inside. That's not what Hebrews says. Hebrews said he is our high priest. He is functioning as our high priest who continually maketh intercessions for us. And what that function is is accomplishing the very thing people are missing and the very thing they need to understand so that they will never fail God and they will never backslide from the church because when you understand that God is for you and when you understand that he is praying for you and when you understand he is your high priest and when you understand that he is in the heavenlies right now and he is ministering right now, then you understand that I have absolute victory in my life. If I've got God for me, if he is on my side, if he goeth before me, if he makes a way of escape for every temptation, when Jesus is my high priest, Amen. You feel the Holy Ghost tonight? Amen. It's a trick of the devil to think that we cannot understand these things. These truths, amen, they're, gonna, they're going to revolutionize your life, amen, and make you to never backslide if you'll buy into it and understand. And yet it's the very thing that the devil has convinced us that is too hard for us to understand. And so we never understand what the key to total victory is in our life. And I'm going to tell you something. If I were the devil, I'd do the same thing. I'd try to to convince you you couldn't understand it. I try to convince you it's too complicated or too far, but I want to tell you what Paul said. He said at some point we've got to go on into perfection. We can't just sit here in kindergarten living for God in preschool and in kindergarten at some point we need to stand up and realize I'm going to another level. I want a greater revelation. I want a greater understanding. I want to walk in absolute victory. If there are truths that will make the Christian so strong this is what the devil thinks, that, they, that if I could keep Christians from understanding these truths that are so strong, he knows he cannot defeat us. He would try to convince you it's, it's too far off. And this is why we, we stay at such a low-level understanding of Christ. I, I want to go further. I want to preach to your potential. I want to preach to your potential. I want to teach to your potential. Amen. He's up in heaven right now. He's performing a function that is actually far beyond what he just did at the cross because he's continually, everybody say continually, making intercessions for us. He shed his blood to purge our sins on the cross, but he is in glory to sprinkle your hearts right now with his own blood and to send down the power of God into our hearts that will keep us and protect us in our Christian life that we will never be defeated by the enemy and we will never be overwhelmed by life. The book of Hebrews is a book that was written to a church people that were in precisely the same spiritual state as most 
most Christians in the world are today. They only knew about the cross and what Jesus did on the earth to make them free from sin and on their way to life after death in heaven with him. Amen. And look at what they were experiencing. Look at what the writer had to talk to them about, giving them an indication of their struggle. Amen. And I'm getting ready to close. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1, he writes, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Hebrews 3 and 12, Take heed, my brethren, lest there be any of you, uh, any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3, 14, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our, con of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hebrews 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. It's literally backslide. We are not unto them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus is God made manifest in the flesh. We believe that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross to bring both God and man together. But we also believe that he ascended to the throne. Amen. We believe he ascended to the throne. And the fourth part is the most awesome part of all is that he is there right now. He is functioning to provide us with all the power that we're going to need, the power of his kingdom in our hearts so that we may abound in victory because it is not the will of God that we live in defeat. It's not the will of God that we live just barely making it. It's not the will of God that we just survive, but it is the will of God that we walk in victory and we triumph and we overcome the ways of the enemy. You want to know how we're going to do that? Because he is functioning for us right now. He is interceding for us right now. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I said he's interceding for us right now. Amen. The purpose of the Holy Ghost, amen, is to bring the power of that kingdom down into our hearts. Imagine the kingdom in heaven being brought down into our own hearts. Satan couldn't stand in our hearts if we had the power of the kingdom in our life. He must be cast out of our thoughts and out of our minds and out of our imaginations if we allow the kingdom of God to come down into our I'm not preaching something that's so far-fetched. I know it's hard to wrap our minds around when I use the phrase that Paul wrote to the Hebrew church. You see, the Hebrew church understood the function of a high priest who would take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and that would bring forgiveness and mercy into the life of the believer. So when Paul wrote to the church in Hebrews, he said that Jesus Christ has ascended into the holiest of all holies and he takes his own blood because he was both the sacrifice and the priest. 
He's both the sacrifice and the priest. And he takes his own blood that he shed upon Calvary. That efficacious blood. That blood that never loses its power. That blood that will never run out of authority. He takes that blood and he goes into the holy place according to Hebrews and he sprinkles it upon the mercy seat for us. And there he intercedes for us. And he sends the power down to us. And he gives us the authority to walk for him. I want you to know something, having victory in your life has nothing to do, amen, with who you are, who your parents are, what your intellect is, or what your pedigree is. If you want total victory in your life, it comes from understanding that God is on my side, that God believes in me, that God that God came to this earth, amen, wrapped in the flesh, died for my sins, took his blood, and erased my sins, and now is continually making intercessions for me. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother Lucas, if you'll come. I, I'm on, we, we still got a long ways to go in this series, amen. But I wanted to give you some more insight into that victory, amen, that you're not out just living for God, amen, just hoping you'll make it on a wing and a prayer. Not out here just living for God, hoping you'll make it because pastor's praying for you or, or the church ministry staff's praying for you. A brother or sister in the church is praying for you. Go home and read Hebrews, amen. The Bible says he's our high priest. He's our high priest. He takes his own blood. Amen. You say, well, how could that be? Because that's just how awesome God is. He's both the sacrifice and the priest. That means he laid down his own life, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He takes his own blood, shed it for us on Calvary's cross, ascends into the heavens. Amen. He stands in the holy place at the mercy seat and he takes his own blood because he wasn't just a sacrifice but because he's God he could receive his own self he could receive his own sacrifice I'm not preaching about two people in the trinity I'm not talking about Jehovah Junior I'm talking about the one almighty God for he's father in creation son in redemption holy ghost in regeneration I'm not talking about an eternal sonship I'm talking about the one true living God to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself I'm talking about one God, hallelujah, without controversy, greatest, the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, amen, believed on in the world and received up in the glory. It's the one God. That almighty God did not have to vacate his very presence on the throne of God when he manifests himself as Christ upon the earth. Amen. Because that same God in the manifestation of Jesus Christ laid down his life and shed his blood. And that same God is powerful enough. He's omniscient enough. Hallelujah. He's omnipresent enough. He's omnipotent enough that he could lay down his own life and raise it up again. That he could shed his own blood and receive it as the perfect sacrifice it is. And then continually minister. Amen. Maybe you've never seen this before and, and it's not an indictment if you haven't. It's a beautiful revelation if you're seeing it tonight. God's not sitting up in heaven with his feet propped up on the table looking at a calendar on when he's going to come back and get us. 
He is ministering, Paul said. He's ministering right now. It's, here's, here's where our finite minds mess up. Go, well, wait a second, Pastor. If Jesus is up there ministering, how can he be in my heart? Because he's omnipresent. He's God. You don't have a problem believing that God's moving right here, right now, and he's also moving in Brazil, right? You don't have a problem believing that God hears our prayer and our worship right now, but he's also hearing prayer in the Congo right now, and he's also hearing prayer in North Korea right now, and he's hearing prayer in the Philippines right now, and he's hearing prayer in France right now, because we've got to understand our God is bigger than what we could ever imagine or even think. Oh, hallelujah. And if you get a revelation of this, It'll change your whole perspective. Because you'll, you'll stop hoping you're going to make it. I said you'll stop hoping you're going to make it. And you'll start knowing you're going to make it. Because not only is God for you, He's praying for you. making intercessions he's actively not only is he actively working in your life he's actively working for your victory hallelujah it's bigger than the cross it's bigger than just an empty tomb it's bigger than an upper room at Pentecost it's bigger than that it's Jesus Christ remember I preached on this on Sunday about Cornelius Cornelius had a revelation the Jews didn't even have that God is interested in every aspect of your life. God sees everything. I want to tell you right now, God sees everything and he still sprinkles that blood. He sees everything and he still intercedes for you. He still, he sees everything and he's still for you. He sees everything and he still believes. You got to believe that tonight. You got to believe that down in your soul. Amen. That God is really on your side and that God really does have victory for your life. And stop saying, well, I hope I make it. I hope I get, no, no, no. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through this. I will over come because we are not just conquerors that's not what Paul said Paul said we are more than conquerors see a conqueror has an opportunity and a chance of being defeated but when Paul began to write about something that was undefeatable when he began to write something that was unconquerable he started thinking about a conqueror and he didn't say you are you are conquerors through Christ he said you are more than conquerors through Christ Because Jesus ain't ever lost a battle. And he's not going to lose this battle. And if you are, if you'll be present, if you'll be where your feet are, if you'll have patience in growing and walking in the Lord, and you'll walk out of here with a fresh revel, every morning you wake up, know the Bible says he's making intercessions for you. Every morning you wake up, know that he is before you. Amen. He has gone out in front of you. He has cleared the path for you. He has made a way of escape for you. But more importantly than that, he is on your side. He is praying because he knows what it takes to overcome and he's put that in you. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 
you've got to quit looking at that struggle and just saying, Lord, I, I hope I can come through this. You need to be able to look at that right now and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm more than a conqueror because God is on my side. Because God is, oh my God, is actively working for me right now. He is functioning as my high priest right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's in, he's in the heavenlies right now. He's in the heavenlies right now. He's actively on my side. He's working for me in the name of Jesus. Go ahead. Go ahead. I feel victory in this place right now. You don't need to leave here defeated. You don't need to leave here discouraged or downhearted. No. See, the enemy don't want you to get this revelation. The enemy doesn't want you to get this fresh understanding. Amen. And this new perspective on victory because he wants you to just cross your fingers and hold your breath that you're going to make it. But Jesus said, I've already prayed for you, Simon Peter. I've already interceded for you that your faith would fail you not. Amen. The victory is not going to be determined by the enemy. The victory is going to be determined whether we're willing to be patient and submit to the plan of God in our life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you want total, absolute victory in your life, I want you to feel free to step to this altar right now for the next few moments. Amen, before we dismiss tonight. I, I, I felt like God, amen, began to open understanding into somebody's life. Amen, you're more than just a hopeful Christian. No, no, I am triumphant through the blood of Jesus Christ because he is on my side. He is praying for me. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Go ahead, go ahead, receive that tonight. Receive that victory. God is on my side. I cannot fail when the Lord is on my side. If God is for me, then who can be against me? I am more than a conqueror through Christ. discouragement walk out of here with you don't let defeat walk out of here with you <laughs> be a conqueror be an overcomer it's a key to total victory in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus yes yes Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.